Brock's freaking auto! This, this is Brock and Saul. Brock Heward and Mark, Matt, Marcus. Sorry about just Mike. Getting- Mike on Seattle Sports. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Heward, not exactly Joe Cap there in the pocket. Now here are your hosts, Brock Heward and Mike Saul. <laughs> All right, let's go. It is the Brock and Salk Show on where? Where are we? Oh, yeah, Seattle Sports on 710seattlesports.com, Seattle Sports app, and all the podcast platforms out there as well. Which one do you choose? Spotify? Apple? Google? Google? It's a harder word to say, actually. Google? It's one of those words where I think if you said it enough times, it kind of starts to lose its meaning. Well, we know that the... Are you caffeinated this morning? Yeah, okay. I'm not. No. Uh, the Google Podcast shutting down 2024. So, what? Yeah. What's going to happen? I got to move to the YouTube Music app. Wow. What'll... Uh, okay. Well, yeah. I, I hope we're able to survive that. We'll have to change all of our branding and imaging. I hope and... they have reviews there, too. They do? I oh, hope, I hope YouTube. they do. Oh, yeah. I don't know. I've never really looked at Google I don't use Google YouTube reviews. Music almost at all, so... That's where you're going, though. If you're a Google Podcast user, it's going to be shut down in 2024. Well, this is going to be very challenging. Okay. Well, I, thank you, Justin. You, you've, you've thrown me off As my the game this morning. Guy, I mean, I figured I should. Yeah. Have to work on that. So if anybody has a problem uh, switching from uh, Google Podcast to uh, to YouTube Music, just call Justin yep. and uh, he away. will uh, come. He's man of the year, after all. So he'd be oh, happy yes. to come help you out if Make sure uh, you if congratulate you him when he comes to your I'll house. wear the pickle costume on the way over. No, it would be good. I would appreciate that. Please do. Um, all right. So who? Julio spoke yesterday, which is good. I'm really glad that Julio spoke right away. Seriously. Like, as soon as he gets there, you should hear from Julio. You know why? He's a superstar. He's the best player in the team. And we didn't talk about him enough this offseason, myself included. I said it a couple of times over the last few weeks as I was starting to get that sense. And then I really, really feel it now. Like, Julio Rodriguez is a superstar. He's on our team here in Seattle. And we obviously spent a lot of time for good reason. I'm not like, you know, crushing us for what we did spend our time on thinking about how you can build around him. But it is worth noting over and over again that if Julio had had the kind of season that he wanted to have last year, Mariners would have made the playoffs and a lot of our conversations would be very different right now. Now, I'm not sitting here telling you that it's Julio's fault or he's a bad guy. Let me please get all those caveats out of the way. Hopefully that should be clear by now. But the last time I said this, people were like, oh, yeah, cool, Salk. Blame Julio. Like, I'm not blaming Julio. I'm saying exactly what Julio's saying, right, he that he could have had a better season. It's one of the biggest things he said yesterday. You heard about it. Like, I wasn't happy with it. You know, I feel like a lot of people can say, Oh, like he was, like you said, like he was fourth in MVP. Like he, he did this, he did that. How can he not be happy? But like you said too, I feel like there was a lot of moments that I feel like I should have done better. Like I could have done better. And like I know my ability. I know what I want for myself. The reason you get to talk about Julio this way is because of the otherworldly talent and because he sets such a high standard for himself, which is awesome. I love this kid. I really do. I absolutely adore him. Love the personality, love the game, love the style, the flourish, everything that he does, I really enjoy. He's so young still. He is still growing into that body. He is still gaining some of the power that I think will continue to come. He he is a fantastic baseball player and an awesome personality to have as your superstar. So I, I, I want us to keep reminding ourselves of that because it's easy 
to get mad at the way the Mariners have handled putting stuff around them. I'm mad too. There is a time and a place to be mad. There's a time and a place to be frustrated. There's a time and a place to complain and say, put more around this superstar like the Braves have done with Acuna, right? Because, you know, talking to Simborski yesterday, our, our guy from Zips, the projection system at Fangraphs, and Simborski says, look, Julio, I love the way they view this. Julio has the most projected remaining war in his career other than than uh, Acuna. So said another way, he has the most upside, essentially, of any other player in baseball still. Think about that. And he's already been in the league a couple of years. That's that's how good he is and for how long he is expected to be that good. Add in the personality, add in all the other great things that Julio brings to the table. And I, I understand if, you know, I'm, this isn't like a pitch to go go to the games, but like I understand people who are mad right now are like, yeah, I'm not buying tickets. Okay, I get it. If that's the message you want to send to ownership, totally get it. Absolutely agree with you. You have every right to do it. Unfortunately, doing that means you might miss Julio. And Julio is one of those people who's worth the price of admission. So it's one of these sort of, you know, back and forth frustrations. And I feel like this is what I've been doing with this team in my head kind of over and over again, where it's like I start to get happy. And I think about Julio and I think about the rotation and I think about, you know, some of the pieces they've added that I like. And I'm like, mm, man, this rotation, one of the maybe the best in baseball. You got Julio, you got Cal, you got Jade, like you got Polanco, who's a dude. You added Garver like you could start really talking yourself into the idea this is going to be a much better team. And then you get mad because you're like, why are you messing around with Luke Rayleigh? In left field. Why are you messing around with Dominic Canzone? Why are you messing around with Luis Urias? To, to have one of those three? Okay, cool. Throw in Mitch Hanniger just because of the injury history. All right. To have one or two of those guys, but all four? That's a lot of question marks, especially when Ty France is coming off as bad a year as he's coming off. When you had guys that weren't question marks who could have been in those. Positions. Right. And so now you start, like, getting upset again. You're like, gosh, with Julio and those guys. Like, why aren't you better? Why, why don't you have even more surrounding those guys? Why are you cutting salary? Why are you doing this? And you start getting mad again. And then when I start getting mad because there's a little bit of my personality that's contrarian, I don't know if you've noticed over the last few years or not. What? Yeah, it's a little true. Not soft a lot, but just take. like a little bit. Yeah, there's my soft take for the day. <laughs> then I start thinking like, yeah, but every team has problems. And gosh, Julio's really good. And gosh, this rotation. Like you start thinking about the rotation. Guys, we spent... I don't know how long this offseason. How many times did you mention Luis Castillo's name? If it was more than five. Yeah, not many. Yeah. That was probably inaccurate. Oh, by the way, yesterday you talked to the projection guy. He's like, eh, we have him as the Cy Young favorite. We don't even mention him. Yeah. The Mariners have arguably, I would guess, according to him, the Cy Young, and I didn't ask this question yesterday, but I'll check, and the AL MVP candidate. Right? Without Otani in the league now, in the American League, the Mariners might have the projected leader for MVP and Cy Young. Think about that for a second. Right? That's, that's, that's how impressive this team is at the very top. And so you got to get excited about that. That's legit, man. They yeah. did trade yeah. for Luis Castillo and sign him long-term. They did trade for Julio and sign him, or they did uh, bring in Julio and sign him long-term, develop him. 
They did develop after they drafted Kirby and Gilbert. They did do the same with with uh, Bryce Miller and Brian. Wood. Like they really did a lot of these things really well. And so it's 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 okay to be happy about those things and think, man, that's the nucleus of a championship kind of team. And then it's okay to get mad and get frustrated and say, oh, my gosh, why didn't you add a little bit more to this? Look at how freaking close you are. My God, you're so close. You have an MVP candidate. and You have a, a Cy Young Award candidate or three. And you're messing around with four guys that are giant question marks in your lineup every day? Why? Well, I think a lot more people are starting to come around to your contrarian side. Which uh, side is that? Not not out of being contrarian, but well, toward, towards saying, wait a minute, maybe we shouldn't be so upset. And I, th- I think part of that is looking around the league outside of the Dodgers because they're in their own yep. weird class and realizing that it wasn't just the Mariners that decided not to spend well, this that's year. That it's a true. league-wide thing, and the Mariners did the best that they could with that situation. And I got some info on that. We're going to kind of go through it in about an hour from now and kind of looking through what a couple of other teams are doing and what the market looks like. And, yes, it, it does put it into context a little bit, but not that much. Well, especially because people feel like they were promised something. That's right. I'm not saying people aren't still upset, but I think the overall – thought of how this offseason went has shifted a little more for the positive reason. Yeah. And, and with Polanco and, and Santos. I think that's right. As it should. Look, I mean, those are really good moves. Mariners made some good moves. And if they add another $25 million to this payroll and you could deal with third base and one of your outfield spots, it'd be even better. Yeah. Like, I, I just, I don't know how else to say it. Like, I, right. I like, I like some of the guys they brought in. That's, I, I know people are going to hear that as like, wow, you really hate Luke Rayleigh. This, like, no, Luke Rayleigh's a fun player. But there's some issues. There's some huge question marks there. I'm going to give you a number later that's going to shock you. Okay. Uh, Mitch Hanniger, you know the issues there with just, you know, how often he can play. Dominic Canzone, I like the upside talent, but complete unknown. Complete unknown. Right? So that's that's three quarters of your star, of your outfield. Assuming you're going to have four guys in your outfield, three quarters of them are a gigantic question mark. And if Hanniger does get hurt, now you're talking about Dylan Moore getting more playing time as a right-hander and or another lefty in Cade Marlowe or Taylor Trammell. So, like, that's a, that's, a, that's a problem. That's a question mark for you right there. Okay? And at third base, Urias already having little dings and dents and issues and this and that. And, like, that's a question mark. That's three positions that I think are very legitimate question marks. The others, though, there's some pretty there's some there's some really nice talent up the middle at catcher and short and second and center and obviously your pitching staff. So yeah, you can kind of keep going back and forth on this quite a bit. But uh, we'll take a quick break. We'll give you guys everything you need to know. It is Brock and Salk Seattle Sports on seven ten SeattleSports.com. Need to know. 15 minutes past every hour with Brock and Salk. Here's what you need to know. Up first. Well, so great to see the whole Mariner team together working out yesterday, meeting together yesterday for the first time. Interesting. Kind of going through the list of guys that I was excited to see when we get down there next week. And I'm like, you know, there really are a lot of fun names on this list. All teams I know have intriguing players. But when you look at this pitching staff, that's arguably the best in baseball and then of course you look at julio rodriguez a legitimate superstar dan simborski joining us from fan graphs yesterday explaining just how great julio is in a good season i mean you can expect him to be an mvp contender uh there's just 
there are not a lot of players that you would like better uh, when you talk rest of career if you had to draft everyone than Rodriguez. Uh, right now, I mean, Zips only has a single player in baseball with more future projected war remaining uh, than uh, Rodriguez, and that's uh, Ronald Acuna Jr. Uh, so even if he doesn't get like become like a seven or eight win player every year, uh, he's I mean, pretty damn good, and there's not there are very few players you would ever choose over him. Yeah, I don't imagine that Mariners fans would be too interested in having anybody other than Julio, and it's not just the projection and the physical ability, it's the personality and the dedication. As he came into camp yesterday and met with the media, he was not pleased with his year last year. I had a lot of learning experience last year, but I'm grateful for it. You know, this, this that was my second year in the league where a lot of people say, oh, that's a uh, the sophomore slump or whatever. I don't know how that how that's going to fit in like a lot of people's mind now. But for me, that was a sophomore slump that I was grateful for, that I was able to learn, that I that I, that I know it's going to help me out down the road in my career. And that's something that I'm not going to take for granted. And that's something that I will never forget. That it's always going to keep pushing me to keep getting better and never feel that way. God, it's just nice hearing Julio's voice again, honestly, and just very excited for what he's capable of this year. All right. Speaking of that pitching staff, it's so good. There could theoretically be a competition for the opening day starter job yesterday or, or this year. And so I am here to tell you, because I know Shannon wrote about this yesterday, that barring injury, the opening day starter will be Luis Castillo. I'm telling you that. Not reporting it. I'm just telling you that's what it's going to be for a few reasons. One, veterans get that job unless there's a compelling reason not to give it to them. It's just the easiest way not to upset the apple cart. Two, Scott's not going to go to the DR the way he did this offseason unless this is part of the plan. And three, Castillo's really, really, really good and maybe even an MVP or a Cy Young candidate again this year. So I'm telling you today. Barring injury, Luis Castillo starts Book opening. It. Book day. it. Book it. Here's the second thing you need to know. Well, if Mike McDonald was the most important hire of the offseason, Ryan Grubb, the clear number two, joined Bump and Stacy yesterday and uh, talked about quite a bit, including that change he's going to have moving from college to the NFL. There's you know less opportunity for you to just severely expose somebody defensively because there's so many good football players in the league. So I think you got to find other ways to expose the defense, you know, whether it's leverage or numbers or whatever it is. But I think the mismatch piece is far less likely in the NFL than it is college. The mismatch piece. Yeah, it makes sense. They're just a lot of really good defensive players that he's going to be trying to scheme against. Their other questions, of course, are about his evolution in the run game, right? Where last year, what we've seen of him, for the most part, has been throwing the ball all over the yard. I thought we evolved into a different type of running team by the end of the season, So, which were ways to highlight the back that we had and the, and the alignment that we had, which we thought were athletic in the pin-pull world, coupled with you know some scheme where we could work on no-pull power. So I think we, we do a great job being ready to run anything, honestly. And you got to get good at stuff too, right? You can't be an inch deep and a mile wide, of course. But I think that our offense, you know, provides a lot of answers in the run game. Sounds pretty good. He landed more members of his staff yesterday as well. Seahawks are going to bring in former Jets offensive assistant Mac Brown as their tight ends coach. Apparently no relation to longtime Texas coach of the same name. Uh, Matt Zenitz reporting they're also expected to hire Chargers linebackers coach Jeff Howard, who will move up to be a defensive backs coach. And also Nick Perry, who was an assistant wide receivers coach, who should be now a member of their defensive staff as he moves across the ball. Just seems like a lot of guys 
guys, first of all, who are very young, but also a lot of general assistants getting a shot at her first position group or maybe a guy moving up into a new position group. So this will be a very young, very inexperienced staff. Makes sense for year one of this program. I'm wondering how many years before they have their staff exactly how they want it. Here's the third thing you need to know. All right, college football playoffs unanimously approving their new 5 plus 7 format yesterday. So there will now be five automatic qualifying spots for the highest ranked conference champions and then seven at-large spots for the next highest ranked team. So this will start this upcoming season. We got a little Paul Feinbaum to explain it. Finally, a good day for college football. There have been so many bad ones lately, but the idea that college football has finally gotten its act together is reason to celebrate. There are still flaws with the system. There are always going to be flaws when you allow committees to choose. The fact that Notre Dame could be the number one team in the country and be seated fifth, that's a problem. But for the most part, seven at-larges is a very good day because conferences like the SEC, the Big Ten, can get more than that one, maybe two that we've seen occasionally, especially from the SEC and the Big Ten. So overall, criticism, yes. Celebration, yes. Good day for college football. Well, Paul Feinbaum's happy. That means the SEC is happy. So obviously (laughs) this is a good thing for college football. All right, there you go. That's everything you need to know. Uh, We do a quarter past every hour. Plus, these poor guys are not going to have any money either. They only signed an $8 billion deal over the next six years. So money. We'll just keep sending it to them. Yeah, I mean, please, if, if, if you have an extra few dollars... Right, right. Play me the uh, play me the poor dog music that you get from what's her name, Sarah uh, McLaughlin. McLaughlin. I mean, if you if you have an extra couple of bucks, please send it to <laughs> send it to the SEC. Send it to these poor teams in the college football playoff that just they can't afford anything. They can't afford to pay their players. Can't afford to do much of anything. It's very sad. Very, I heard very someone sad. saying that with the new format, you know, Notre Dame could. Finish as one of the top teams in the country, and still the best they would be is the fifth seed. But oh. it's like, well, I mean, it's also kind of their choice to be That's true. independent. Yeah, hey, join, like, a, I don't, join I mean. a league. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh. And poor Notre Dame. What would they do, Moron? <laughs> what would Notre Dame do at that point? Oh, it'd be so sad for them. Let the let the sadness wash over you. Imagine someone in that golden dome helmet just looking up with you with the poor puppy dog eyes. I need more money. Oh, I just need some money here at Notre Dame. We don't have enough. We need more money here in the SEC. We don't have enough. Send us more. Send us your firstborn if you've got it. All right. Um, we're going to try to do the impossible right now. You ready? This is what we're going to do. I'm, I'm going to be straight up with you guys. We're going to take a quick break. Then you're going to hear from Ray Roberts, who was freaking awesome yesterday and gave Brock a new saying that he's never going to shut up about. So I'm like, love Ray, but also (laughs) like, Ray, thanks a lot. While you're listening to Ray, we're going to tape with Brian Wu. That's the plan. So I have to make all of this work logistically, timing wise, and then we'll play you Brian Wu at 730. Okay. So all of these things are sort of moving pieces. You'll hear from Ray Roberts next. You'll hear from Brian Wu, Mariners fifth starter at 730. It's Brock and Salk, Sales Sports on 710. You're listening to Brock and Salk. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. You should have seen all the gatekeeping this morning, Brock. People gatekeeping my pressure washing. Why didn't you do it this way? Why didn't you do it that way? Like, oh my gosh. Because I did it the way I did it. And it worked fine. 
I mean, ultimately, I'm going to need to call out a professional to come out and, you know, sure. do some landscaping and fix the stuff that now, you know, mm-hmm. once you do one project, it just shows the other three or four projects that you got to do. Yes. But, man, I felt like a real man this weekend. I was out there. It is. Uh, gosh, it's, it's pretty fulfilling, isn't it? Very. Yeah. I mean, yes. it feels like you're erasing dirt from the, you know, ground. It's really, Years of rot. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, feels pretty mold. good. Yeah, mm-hmm. there was a lot of uh, moss, really, is mm-hmm. what I was getting rid of. All right, what a wonderful intro for poor Ray Roberts. Uh, Ray, good morning. It's been too long. How are you, buddy? It's good to hear your voice. I'm doing pretty good. I didn't know that uh, planting dirt and rocks and moss yeah. Uh, yeah. really made you feel like a man. Well, I, I, was, was, I was pressure thing. washing. You ever pressure wash? You ever spent some time oh, pressure oh. washing? <laughs> well, I was like, that's a really interesting uh uh, manly mantra. There. Yeah, and I don't really feel like a real man because there couldn't be anything. There couldn't be less of a connection than be <laughs> than doing yard work and being manly. But I was out there. Uh, I was out there pressure washing Ray, and it was uh, quite an experience. Yeah, I know that can be satisfying, though. Yeah, you get rid of that yeah. dark dirt. Ugh, get it all out of there. You right, set enough. yourself up for a good segue here. I don't have yeah. any. I've got nothing. Let's just talk through the Seahawks. And... Jody Allen decided to pressure wash away this whole staff. <laughs> Start a new Big Ray. <laughs> That's ridiculous. Uh, we will talk about more than offensive line play, Ray, because I know you're more than just an offensive lineman. But I do want to start there because it, it's sort of been one of the bigger kind of points of interest for me, which is when you look at their offensive line specifically and, and maybe their defensive line as well, the issues they've had, are they from not having the right guys or not having those guys coached, schemed, communicated with the right way? Man, that's a, that's a tough one. Uh, to me, I think uh, they've had a lot of the right pieces. I don't know that they um, – one of the keys to, to really develop an offensive line play as a unit and as an individual is that you have to really know what they can and what they can't do and then build game plans around that. You know, a lot of times, you know, when we talk about building game plans and play design, we think about what the receivers are doing or what the quarterback, you know, uh, you know is manipulating the, the secondary and all that kind of stuff. And we don't really think about uh, that type of development for – uh, for the offensive line, yeah, and so I, you know, if you look at the 49ers' offensive line, you know they have one first rounder, uh, second rounder, uh, undrafted free agent, uh, fourth rounder, and a fifth rounder that are that are starters. But their play design uh, with their pre-snap motions that kind of uh, uh, help you gain either angles or numbers or both, mm-hmm. and then their post post-snap motions which challenge the discipline of the defense. And so, you know, that puts them in position to be really successful running the football, you know, and um, and protecting the quarterback. And I, I don't know that the Seahawks ever really adopted any of that. Um, you know, they, they I think they were still kind of in this physical run game, uh, Marshawn Lynch kind of a thing. And Marshawn Lynch is one of one. You know, he's just one of those dudes that didn't need a whole lot of space and uh, could break a lot of tackles and make some, some big runs. And, and so I, I think in this day and age, you have to be willing to, be innovative with the play calling uh, to help develop your offensive line. And I think that might be what they've missed more than anything, um, because I do think that they've had enough of the pieces to be successful. And I think Andy Dickerson is a really good uh, offensive line coach, too. Biggest adjustment, a college offensive line coach and Scott Huff, who's going to coach grown men for the first time in his life at the professional level, will have to make. Coaching grown men. <laughs> yeah. when I, my One year, I uh, 
my last couple of years in Detroit, we had this guy, uh, Pat Rule, who came from Michigan State. And um, you liked Pat a lot, right? His, his name was uh, Golden Rule. I've, Golden I've heard Rule. how much you like Golden, Pat. Golden yeah, Pat. I've heard he was your favorite. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, anyway, he, came, he was with the Seahawks for a little while. But mm. uh, oh, I remember. But, um, I just he just didn't he didn't come and know the room. He didn't learn the room uh, in a way that he could then be an effective offensive line coach. And uh, and in learning the room, that doesn't mean that you have to go in and be like, hey, these dudes have been here and I haven't and. They know as much or more than I do or anything like that. But it's, it's more about just how you present yourself to the room, how you, uh, especially to the veteran players, you know, like how, what type of respect you have for them. Not that you have to have, they have to carry the room and do all those types of things. Most dudes are ready to fall in line. Uh, but there has to be a certain level of respect for what these dudes have done. Whether you like how well they've played or not, they've made it to this place. And that means something. And so I think you have to respect that. Uh, and then I think, you know, just he has to, he has to have a system, uh, techniques, drills, um, something that they can believe in. Uh, because if, if, they're, if you're kind of – if your way of doing it is something that they're not buying into, and this is for any coach, but even more so for a coach coming from college at NFL, if, it's, if, if the room isn't buying into to what you're selling – then it's going to be tough. Uh, but I, I think, you know, he's had enough success uh, and he's done well with some, with some offensive lines that, you know, when you look at them on the surface, didn't, didn't seem as, as like they were going to be as great as they were, mm-hmm. but as a unit, they played very well. I mean, last year, the offensive line wasn't very big at all, but they're super effective and, uh, and they protected the quarterback and uh, they ran the football at times. And so uh, I think he has, he has some good, um, uh, what do you want to call it? Uh, notoriety, I guess, or, or some respect coming into the into the room, and now it's up to him to kind of move that forward. Hey, Ray, when you look at the roster fully, the full roster of guys that'll be returning next year, who who do you think will benefit most from having a new group of coaches? You know what? To be honest with you, I think the young guys are going to benefit the most. I, I think that um, I think that Pete. Uh, and his philosophy, which I still believe in, and I think it still works, um, I don't think that it had enough success uh, uh, at a level that the young dudes could really, really, truly buy into it. And, uh, you know, he, they weren't going deep into the playoffs, and they weren't winning big games. You know, they were squeaking into the playoffs and, and just, you know, getting one or two games over 500. So, I don't think that the, the, the young guys bought into it. And I do think that the reason that a lot of this coaching staff is a lot younger is to close that generational gap. Uh, you know, it's not that it's that Pete can't uh, communicate with them, but these are coaches that have been working with younger players, uh, you know, and, and have a younger kind of mindset about it. And I think that that'll, that'll make a difference. So you're, you know, some of your young guys like on offense, like, uh, you know, K9 or, uh, the, the young offensive tackles, Bradford, the guard, the secondary, you know, with, uh, with the young guys we have playing back there. I think those dudes will benefit from, uh, from this younger coaching staff that is a little bit closer um, uh, in, in, the, in the generation than, than what Pete was.
If you were on that plane back to Indy next week and traveling with this uh, this coaching staff and, and the scouts and, and uh, John Schneider and everybody else, and they said, okay, Big Ray, if you had to allocate resources to really turn this roster, as you just said, we've been league average, nine wins, eight wins, nine wins. We've kind of been around and hovered around that area. But if we're going to take some steps here with Mike McDonald and this new young staff, where do we allocate our resources both in free agency and certainly into the draft? Well, I, I agree with Pete before this season, before last season started, they asked him, I think one of his comments was uh, they needed to close a gap in the trenches between uh, the Seahawks and the 49ers. And yeah. I couldn't agree more. I think uh, on on both sides of the ball, you know, with the interior uh, uh, guard, center guard with this uh, on offense, you know, there's a lot of dudes that are up, Lewis, uh, Brown, and, and uh, Haynes, you know, mm-hmm. there's a chance that they may not be back. I, I, I do think that they're good players, but I don't know if they made the – especially Lewis, man. I really thought Lewis was going to be one of the top guards in the league. He just didn't make strides from, from one year to the next. And then Haynes just can't stay healthy and on the field. Uh, but I do think that they need to uh, they need to find – and this is what I think, too. Like, in the second, third, fourth round, some of those uh, – uh, you can find some guards – and centers and defensive tackles that are freaking meat eaters. Like you don't need to have everyone doesn't need to be a superstar. Everyone doesn't need to be the first rounder, but you need some dudes that are just freaking meat eaters. They just want to go freaking eat up defensive linemen or eat up offensive linemen. They need dudes like that, uh, uh, that can, that can do that. And I don't know that, uh, that they've really filled those gaps uh, in the, in the previous years. Jaron Reed, you know, I think is a, is a good um a good player, but you know, up in age, uh, the big dude that they got from the Giants last year. Uh, I don't know if they'll be able to afford him, but uh, but they do need to find uh, some meat eaters that can close mm. the gap. I mean, because mm. that's that's where it all starts, man. I'm telling you, if you can't mm. protect and if you can't run the football, you're probably not going to win very many <clears throat> so, games. So if you can't rush the quarterback and you can't stop the run, you're not going to run. You're not going to win very many uh, football games, and all that all that starts in the trenches. So you and I agree on that a hundred percent. I mean, I mean that—that's exactly where I would want them to start their their process as well. The problem is they don't have that many resources to do it. No second round pick. They may need a quarterback at some point here in the near future. And this brings me back to this conversation that makes a lot of people upset because they think I don't like DK Metcalf, and nothing could be farther from the truth. I think DK's great. But if you're looking to kind of change your roster construction and make sure that you are built from the inside out, it's hard to have, you know, one of your biggest resources be at at, at wide receiver. And I continue to wonder if you could bring back significant talent by trading a DK Metcalf. What do you think? Well, first, you remember when I first met you, Mike, and I sat you up on the table? I do. Yeah, that was fun. Yeah, I feel like that's what I should do right now. Oh, come on. <laughs> But no, I get what you're saying. I do get what you're saying. The only thing is that if you get rid of DK Metcalf, then you better make sure that on the outside that you're that JSN is that dude. Mm-hmm. Uh, because he better uh, be though. You drafted him number twenty. He better be that dude. He's a first round pick. Yeah, but I mean, but his skill set. I don't know. His skill set doesn't seem like he's like the number one dude in in, in the. And in an in NFL offense, mm-hmm. I don't I, just the way I see it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but DK is such a big time, big home run player, and also Mike McDonald is bringing over that that freaking get in your face 
physical style of football, and DK is that. Mm-hmm. And so, D, D, you know, so you can't like uh, you can't sell that part of it short either, uh, because this is a it's become a quarterback and receiver league. And so, if if you don't have the receivers uh, that can either carry uh, you know a, a good quarterback, or you don't have a great quarterback that can carry you know the like the Kansas City Chiefs receivers. Uh, then, man, you're going to struggle. You're going to struggle with that, too. But I do I do get what you're When you first posted it, I was like, man, let me go over here and talk to Mike for a little bit. But um, when I when I, when I I listen to your explanation of right. it, I do get it. I um, do it's not an insane like idea. That. And by the way, if you can't get enough back for him, I'm out. It's not like I'm, like, trying right, to trade right. DK at all costs. I That's like a, the way Ray characterized that. Let's be very clear. He I rocked thought you, you were insane. He but... rocked you like a little baby. He picked you up, and he rocked you like a little baby, swaddled you, and then he put ever... you on the table. <laughs> so, for those that don't know the story, but they, but they do have to do something too, Mike. Because yes. even in free agency, there's not a whole lot of good uh, top high-end like guards and centers that are that are available. There's only like maybe two that are, you know, decent, and the rest of them are, are pretty much what you have on your roster. And so then you're gonna have to figure out some way to either a combination of the dudes you already have, and then finding some someone in the draft. And the sales have always done well trading down and getting extra picks and all that kind of stuff. So. We'll see what they come up Who with. Who is, okay, we'll start with a little Blue 88. This will be like the first question for Blue 88. You don't have to play the bumper more, but we're kind of right up to Blue 88. When you say a freaking meat eater, who comes to Ray Roberts' mind? Mm. Like the, the absolute freaking meat eater. Who is it? In the league in general? Sure. Whoever you think of. Maybe somebody you played with. I, I, Who's a meat eater? Well, Trent, Trent Williams is a meat eater. Yeah. Trent Williams does not does not mess around. Like he's he's a really good football <laughs> player. He, he's getting a little bit older, but uh, but he he's a, he's kind of a nasty nasty kind of player, and uh, and I like him. I like uh, Creed Humphreys with uh, with mm. the uh, Chiefs. Chiefs. Like yeah. he's a smaller dude, and so he has to be uh, a meat eater type of player to be successful, to be a Pro Bowler, to be a you know All Pro type player. And so I, I think you you have to have guys that. Uh, that have um, that mentality that every time they go on the field, that they are the weapon. Mm. Like like an offensive, like we don't think of offensive linemen as weapons. And uh, but but Trent Williams is a weapon. Creed Humphreys is a weapon. Uh, you know, there's there's uh, uh, you know other guys in the league that are on the offensive line that are weapons. They're not just big strong dudes trying to move other big strong dudes. And I think that's probably mm. one of the most um, Offensive line play is probably the most uh, misunderstood uh, lack of knowledge position in all the sports. That wouldn't most surprise people me. Don't know what they're, most people don't know why they're successful and why they're yeah. not. So, so let me and, ask you quickly uh, then, Ray, because we, yeah. we got to run here, but quickly, can can Charles Cross be one of those guys? I mean, that's a that's a top 10 pick. Can he be one of the – is he one of those meat eaters? Well, I, I do think uh, – Charles Cross, when he was healthy, uh, was doing better in the run game. He wasn't always like a real physical dude in the run game, uh, but he was he was kind of getting that way. And uh, and I think he's going to be a really good pass protector too. I think he does a really good job. But every now and again, just a little bit too far up the field, and people come underneath him. And so, uh, but that's a technique thing. But I think he has it all. But the the real true meat eater on that offensive line when he's healthy is is Abe Lucas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Abe Lucas yeah. when he'll, when Abe he'll is healthy, the, he'll eat the Abe grizzle. Is, yeah. 
He, yeah, he, he, the, he, gristle. Uh, the gristle, the bone, the meat, the <laughs> like in the great you know, outdoors. The What's the matter with you? Yep, all of it. All but of it. You don't know what that. You just don't know what that knee is going to be, and so uh, and because to me, he's a he's a tone setter on the offense on the whole yeah. offense. To me, is uh, is Abe Lucas when he's healthy. What's the biggest steak you've ever eaten? Oh man, I think I ate like a forty-two ounce porterhouse. <laughs> Stop it! Forty-two uh, ounces. Oh yeah. Yeah. Did you have to yeah. bench press it first? I, I, <laughs> well, I used to I used to get that at the Metropolitan Grill all the time. Shout out Metropolitan Grill. I might be back there sometime soon. Uh, but uh, every time I would go in there and I try to order something different, they go, "Hey, Mr. Roberts, you know you want that porterhouse." <laughs> like, yeah, <laughs> Ray, good to catch up with you, man. Thank you so much. Always a blast. Appreciate you, and we'll talk soon. Thanks for having me, guys. Man, you remember those old conversations we used to have with Ray? <laughs> just Ray would come on our show in the first couple of years, and we would spend legitimately, he'd come on for an hour, mm-hmm. we'd spend 45 minutes of it just talking about sandwiches. Mm-hmm. We'd food. spend the whole thing just talking about food. food. Oh. <laughs> and then you and I both look at each other like, are you hungry? I am starving. Yeah. Are you hungry? Yes, yeah, so yeah. hungry. And Ray's like, I'm always hungry. <laughs> Ray's the best, man. Yeah. I just, I absolutely love that guy. He's so fun. Yeah, and that was a good conversation, you know, and, and uh, I saw that uh, Seattle Sports kind of cut on to some of that with DK and, and wrote a piece on that and just where he does fit. And, and I know we went through this a little bit yesterday, Salk, mm-hmm. of just just the mentality, you know, that as Mike McDonald is building out this staff and rounding out this staff and more names are coming to it and he's starting to put kind of his imprints on it. You know, there is so much of DK. I mean, I think – I'll make this point for you because you made it a hundred times and nobody still seems to listen. This isn't about DK, the player, and you not liking him and his mentality. This is about what he could bring back as your most valuable chip. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is, and those are some of the debates that are going to be had in those meeting rooms as now the staff gets filled out and they get ready to head to Indianapolis and everything else is okay. You know, who are, who are our guys? He comes from an organization as Mike, Mike McDonald does, where it is very clear this is a raven this is a raven this is what a raven looks like sounds like talks like walks like hits like plays like this is this is a raven and i think we have a pretty good grasp of what a seahawk is but now mike mcdonald is going to put his own imprint on it and where does dk fit in that i think it's also hard because in a lot of ways dk is a seahawk yes he is right and or a raven i mean like he he is everything that those guys are looking for and you know you heard from roma dunze or from roma dunze from uh, ryan grubb yesterday who compared him to roma dunze Mm -hmm. and and talked a lot about this you know this offense and what it could look like when these guys come together and he's he's absolutely right i mean like dk could absolutely be a key piece of this franchise moving forward. And there are ways to have success that way, Mm -hmm. or you could try to go in a different direction and, and build it up from the inside out, which would probably be my preference. Here's a grub yesterday with bump and Stacy. There's no question. When I was looking at, you know, who is here and and the tools that are here at uh, Seattle, I thought that there was a lot of familiarity and what would be able to be applicable in the system. So, and I do, I think 11 here looks a little bit like 11 there. You know, those are good option route runners, guys that if you can get somebody flat-footed or a nickel or safety on those guys, they can highlight their skills. And then you got the big body decks and DK and Rome. And, um, but still, I think that's the thing that was amazing about Rome. And, I, and when I watch DK, I think the same thing is like, these guys are not just nine runners. These guys are crossing route, they're middle field open, they're sitting in zones, they're really, 
really versatile for big guys. And then you got the experienced route runner in the Z. Lockett can do all those things. I mean, you can move that guy about anywhere. Yep, a ton of, a ton of comparison. And I'll say this too, if you're Mike McDonald and you're 36, and I was just looking, Salky, at all the ages of these NFL coaches, mm-hmm. 1 through 32, and it's changed a little without Bill and Pete. There's no <laughs> longer any 70-year-olds. But if I'm coming into this job and in a, into the seat for the first time and, and driving this bus, as we used to talk about, man, Jim Collins, get the people on the bus, I have to have people that love football. Beyond anything else, give me the guys, John Schneider, give me the guys that absolutely love ball. Give me the lawyer Malloy's that I played with that would play for free. And uh, they don't play for the fame of it, the attention of it, the, you know, the, it's not third priority necessarily on their list uh, in, in life. <laughs> they just live it and love it. Mm-hmm. And I mean, DK is going to be one of the first ones. He does. Yeah. With Devin Witherspoon. I mean, you kind of go through it. There's like, yeah, that that's, that guy's got to be here. That guy's got to be here. Even if he nets us a first round pick or whatever, like find another way to do it in your salary cap, find another way to do it um, in draft day trades, find another way to do it. Cause I've got to have the guys that absolutely love ball the most on this bus as a first time head coach. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. I, you know, but there's also another argument to be made the other way on that. And, and I told you this, this DK conversation has nothing to do with him as a player, but I think that there is another element, which is, look, he's had some ups and downs. I won't say off the field, but more in the locker room around the team, et cetera, mm-hmm. right, over the last couple of years. And there is an argument to be made that if you're a new head coach coming in, 36 years old, that you don't really want to deal with a headache like that. Yeah. Not that DK's a bad guy or anything, but if it's going to be more challenging, you don't need anybody challenging your authority right off the bat. Yeah. So I, I, I could kind of see that one go either way because I absolutely agree with what you said as well that, you know, look, there's a there's a lot about DK that is, <laughs> you know, just absolutely obsessed with football in all the right ways. So, yep. I don't know, it's a fun conversation and, and it's obviously one that I would assume John Schneider, Mike McDonald, and the rest of that group is having on a near daily basis as the time uh, keeps kind of ticking into the future here and eventually they're going to have to make some of these calls. All right. Uh, coming up, we had a fun show. Brian Wu is going to join us at 730. We taped the interview. I thought he was really fun. I really enjoyed him. Um, smart guy. Gosh, he, he alluded Salk, to how different this staff is. Yeah. Is that Atlanta Brave staff the one that you know kind of gets compared to this of all the guys coming mm-hmm. up? I'm curious if they were as just eclectic and diverse and spread across the country. I don't know if they were quite as, as eclectic. <laughs> I mean, a little bit. I mean, you know, Maddox like the assassin, right? Yeah. The quiet assassin, and Glavin is a Boston guy, and Smoltz is more of a Southern guy. Where's yeah. he from originally? Detroit. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe not. I don't know. Maybe this I, five is pretty unique. They're definitely the, they're definitely interesting. There's no doubt. And I think you guys will enjoy that interview coming up in a half hour at uh, 730. Before we get there, though, a couple of pieces of news from around Major League Baseball yesterday that put the Mariners into a little bit different context. That's coming up next on Brock and Salk.